again, good morning. As I said at the start of our service, we are taking a look at the Lord's Prayer. This very, very famous uh, common prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. It's a prayer that even if you haven't been around church very often, you're probably familiar with. You've probably heard. And yet what we've been seeing as we've been going through this prayer is that while it's easy to understand, is that it's easy to memorize, there are deep riches uh, within this prayer that teach us about who God is, about who we are, about what it means to have a relationship with him. And so as we take a, a look at another portion of that prayer, I think it's only right that we allow God to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the message that he has for us this morning. So would you please bow your heads and pray with me? Let's pray together. Father God, we give you thanks that you have brought us here you brought us together as your children, as your family, in order that we might hear from you, in order that you might teach us. And so, Lord, we ask as we come before your word that you would give us open hearts and minds to receive the message you have for us this morning. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as I said, the Lord's Prayer is a pretty famous prayer. It's a prayer that many of us know or have at least heard. And yet what we've been seeing as we've taken a closer look at this prayer is that this prayer kind of gets closer and closer to home as you go along. It starts with something, you know, um, pretty comforting. This idea that God is our Father. That at all times and in all places we can come to him in prayer and know that he's listening. And then it kind of sets out some priorities. Jesus gives priorities for prayer. He says that our main priority when we pray should be that God's kingdom and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. But then it starts to get a little closer to home, a little more uncomfortable. He talks about where do we find our ultimate security and rest and provision. And he invites us to pray, give us this day our daily bread as a way of reminding ourselves that God provides for everything that we need. And then last week it got really close to home as we talked about forgiveness. Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. This acknowledgement that there are often times in which we incur a debt against other people, in which we trespass against other people, in which we break relationship, and that has to be forgiven and healed. And yet what we saw is that that forgiveness flows out of the forgiveness that we've already received from God through Christ Jesus. And as kind of the trajectory continues, what we find for this morning is that, again, the prayer is kind of hitting close to home. Because Jesus also invites us to pray like this. I invite you to say these words with me. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that does kind of hit close to home because at the heart of this petition is a very, very uncomfortable admission. A very un, a difficult admission, and it's the admission that evil exists, but that it also exists in me. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That when he pairs those two ideas of temptation and evil, what Jesus is saying is he's saying there is evil in the world, but it's not just out there. There is an evil within our hearts that tugs and pulls at us, an evil within our hearts that lures us in that has to be confessed and admitted, something that we actually need to be delivered from. 
defining temptation for a moment, you could define temptation in this way. Temptation is something that promises life, but ultimately delivers destruction. A temptation is anything that basically says, do this and it will go well for you. Do this and you'll feel good. Do this and you'll get ahead in life, but ultimately cannot deliver on what it promises. Temptations overpromise and underdeliver. They get us to believe that taking the short path, the easy road, is the best way to live, and yet often it leads to disaster. That's what Jesus means by temptation. That's why he says this is something that goes on within us all the time that must be addressed by God. And yet oftentimes we kind of resist that. We react against it. That there are many objections to this idea of, of temptation and confessing temptations and asking God to deliver us from temptations. One of the common objections is this, is, and it's, it's simply that this kind of thinking, you know, God, you know, uh, lead me not into temptation, deliver me from evil. This is just religious talk. Religious talk to keep me from doing what I feel called in my heart to do. You're just trying to impose a moral framework on me to keep me from being the person that I'm authentically called to be. I mean, that's kind of the buzzword these days, right? Is to be authentic, be true to yourself, follow your heart. And so when someone comes along and says, hey, following your heart could actually be dangerous. Following your heart might actually lead you into situations that cause destruction. We're just like, that's, that's outdated. That just seems like you're trying to impose some sort of moral framework on my life. Don't do that. Just follow your heart. Be authentic to yourself. See, we, we tend to hear this word boundaries. We say that, you know, this is trying to set up boundaries. And we tend to hear that as a restrictive term in our culture today. Boundaries are unhealthy, but the reality is, if you really stop and think about it, no one wants to live in a world without boundaries. Here's what I mean. John Ortberg, a great preacher and author, uh, gives a couple of examples in which he highlights the fact that boundaries are actually good. One of the examples he gives is this. It's like, imagine you're driving along and you're speeding and the cops pull you over. And the cop uh, approaches you and says, you know, sir, ma'am, do you know how fast you're going? And your response is something like this. Yeah, yeah, I know I was going a little fast. I know it says 45 and I was going 90. But, but in my heart, I'm a fast person. That's who I am. I love to get from A to B in the shortest amount of time possible, you know? And I just felt like I, I had this, you know? I, I saw that turn coming up, and, and in my heart, I was just like, you got this. You can make that turn. I don't need to slow down. And so, officer, don't impose your moral framework on me, okay? I'm just being true to myself. I want to feel that wind in my hair. See, we have a, we have a, we have a word for people like that, and that is arrested, <laughs> Okay? Or how about this one? The IRS comes to your door. They're knocking on your door and they say, you know, sir, ma'am, we've noticed that you have not paid your taxes in 10 years. And you say, well, that's just because I was just trying to be true to myself. I really, really care about other issues and things like that. And I want to donate my money to those organizations that I care about. Paying my taxes, just, that just doesn't seem genuine. That just doesn't seem authentic. I don't want to give my money to the government. You guys are going to waste it anyways. I got to be true to my heart and give my money where I think it counts. The IRS would listen to that, and we have a word for people like that, and that's that they're criminals. <laughs> they're tax evaders. Or how about this one? A guy and a girl are out on a date, right? They're having this uh, wonderful meal, uh, great conversation over dinner. Uh, dessert comes. That conversation has just been getting better and better. They're just staring longingly into each other's eyes, and then the guy leans over to the girl and says, you know, honey, 
in my heart, I got to be free to love who I want to love. And I think this idea of being, of being, you know, committed to just one person, that's too restrictive. You know, I still want to see you, but I want to see other people as well. It's just be, follow, I just want to be free to follow my heart. Baby, I know you understand. We have a word for that too. It's single. <laughs> or slapped. Right? Nobody wants to live in a world without boundaries. Because we recognize that certain boundaries are healthy for us. Certain boundaries are good for us. They're good for our relationships. They're good for our world. That by placing boundaries around certain things, it actually protects us and enables us to live life to its fullest extent. To live life in, in, in a way that brings about safety and joy and love and security. Nobody wants to live in a world without boundaries. And what Jesus is saying in this prayer is that we should be delivered from temptation so that we don't cross the boundary. Asking that God would lead us in life according to the boundaries that he has set up so that we experience all that he has for us. That's how he kind of addresses this, 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 this first objection because we know that certain boundaries ultimately are there for our good. And if that's true in life, it most certainly is true in our relationship with God. But there's another objection, and this one actually comes from many Christians. And the objection goes like this, but the, the problem they have with this prayer is that this prayer makes it sound like God is trying to tempt us. Why would he do that? I mean, we, we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that, that just doesn't sound like God. Why would God lead us into temptation? Are we sure that we're praying this prayer appropriately? In fact, fairly recently, this became an issue because uh, just over the holidays, the, the Pope had a problem with this. Uh, he was on a flight, and uh, a reporter came up to him, and they said, hey, you know, in the Lord's Prayer, it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What do you think about that? And admittedly, the Pope is kind of caught off guard, but he says, he's just like, yeah, that does seem a little odd. Might be a, a bad translation. That was kind of his, his admission. Now, I don't, wanna, I don't mean to criticize the Pope. I actually love him. Uh, Mark knows that he's a personal hero of mine. So thanks, Francis. Uh, I really do like the Pope. But, but, and, and I understand his, his concern. Because the reality is, is that there are places in Scripture that tell us God doesn't tempt people. In fact, we read one a little bit earlier on in our service. It comes to us from James chapter 1. Verse 13 and following, where James writes, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And so Christians look at that passage and they say, is, have we just misunderstood what Jesus is saying? Did we translate the word wrong? The answer is no, we, we haven't translated the word wrong. But we have misunderstood the context. You see, in Jesus' day, the Hebrew people were used to praying using a form uh, called poetic parallelism. Okay, that sounds like a really heady term. But basically, if you look at the book of Psalms, for example, Psalms is, is the prayer book of the Bible. And throughout the Psalms, what you will find is you'll find some interesting phrasing in which somebody first prays something that God would never do, and then, right after it, prays something that God will always promise to do. One example is in Psalm 20, verse 19, where a person prays, But you, O Lord, do not be far off. 
Now, we know that God can never be far off because later elsewhere in the Bible, it says that the whole earth is filled with his glory. So how could he be far off? That's impossible. But then he prays, oh, oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. And that's something that God always promises. He says, I will be there for my people when they suffer when they find themselves in difficult circumstances. You see, the the, the person praying prayers the impossible in order to then pray and focus on the promise. Okay? Now, that might seem odd to us in kind of our modern context today, but I would argue that we actually do this a lot. We see it specifically in relationships. There are those times when you know you're celebrating your anniversary with your spouse. Maybe it's like that 10-year anniversary and you're looking back on the day that you were married, right? And you say, boy, I hope in, in 10 years, in 20 years, in 30 years, we're still together that you would never leave me. Now, why do we say that? We know our spouse isn't going to leave us. We say that so that they can say what in response? I hope so too. Because I will always be here with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I made a promise that first day that we were married and that promise still stands today. See, we state the impossible in order to reaffirm the promise. We state the thing that the person would never do in order to then focus on the thing that that person will always do in every single circumstance. And I would argue that this is exactly what Jesus is doing in this prayer. He's saying, lead us not to temptation. God's like, I never would. But deliver us from evil. God says, I always will. I always will. See, the emphasis in this prayer is on that second part. That our God is a God who delivers us from evil, even the evil within our own hearts. Even the temptations that would seek to lure us in and suck us in and pull us off path and lead us to destruction. God says, I can deliver you even from that. And so Jesus says, pray this. This is how you pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But I find that this is something that people still struggle with all the time. You know, Christians will come to me and they'll say, you know, pastor, that's, that's great. It's, it's nice to hear those words. How do I know it's true? Well, simply because, first and foremost, God promises it. I mean, we have this beautiful verse that comes to us from 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Where it says, no temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. God says in his word, I will always provide a way of escape. My grace will always be there for you to lean on and to trust in in that moment of temptation. That moment when your own desires are pulling at you. Those desires that are common to every single human being. When those pull at you, I am there to deliver you. To give you a way of escape. But even after hearing that, people struggle. They're like, but, but, if that's, but, but then why do I still struggle? Is it just that I'm immature in my faith? But I just don't believe that promise hard enough? I mean, isn't there supposed to come a point where I don't have to pray this prayer anymore, where temptation no longer is temptation anymore? And I would argue that actually the exact opposite is true. That praying this prayer takes a great degree of spiritual maturity. Because what it's saying is it's saying, I'm not as strong as I think. 
takes a lot to be that vulnerable and that honest with ourselves, to say, I'm not as strong as I think. But Lord, you are far more gracious than I could possibly imagine. You see, I would say that that is actually a prayer of faith. That that actually shows that you truly understand, first and foremost, who you are, but secondly, who God is. That I am weak, but he is strong. And so we pray this all the time, not just when temptation shows up. I love how C.S. Lewis puts it. He says, you know, when dealing with temptation, it's a lot like motoring. Apparently, that's what they call driving your car in England. Um, he said, dealing with temptation is a lot like motoring. Don't wait until the last moment before you put on the brakes. Put them on gently and quietly while the danger is still a good way off. He says that the mature Christian knows that they are tempted, and so they daily pray this prayer. We daily pray this prayer before I'm even in that situation. I ask, Lord, deliver me from temptation. Deliver me from evil. This is a prayer of faith. It's a prayer of Christian maturity. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning, first and foremost, is what is your temptation? What are those things that hook you? Those things that seek to pull you in? But then ask this question, when was the last time you asked God, uh, for God's help to deliver you from it before it even happens? See, the mature person prays that every single day because they know that there could be any circumstance that I'm hooked in because I'm not as strong as I think. But I pray this because I trust that God is able to deliver. God is able to deliver me from evil. And so I think that there are certain key times when it's important to pray this prayer. I mean, pray this all the time, but there are a couple of key moments that I think can kind of serve as red flags and warning times when you especially need to hold this prayer close to your heart. The first is actually when you're successful. When things are going well. When life is all together. When everything's rolling along just as you would have it go. To pray, Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Because it's in those moments when life is going well that we're most tempted to think, I got this. I don't need God's help. I'm strong. I've got it all together. And the problem is, is that kind of pride blinds you to those hooks and those temptations in your life. That when the temptation comes along, you just get blindsided by it because you weren't even thinking that you were vulnerable. That's where temptation hits. It always hits at the chinks in your armor, which is why I, I find it just so, so, so surprising that when some, somebody in the church falls, when they have a huge moral failing, everybody's just like, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. They had their, it looked like they had their whole lives together. Yeah, you see, that's the problem. The mature person in faith says, there's always a part of me that's weak. There are always weak points in my life and I need God to protect me in those moments when I would be tempted to believe that I'm strong. So when things are going well, hold this prayer close to your heart. Another time to hold this prayer close to your heart is when you're tired. Because when we're tired, we do dumb things. It's just kind of like a fact of life. Anyone who's had small children knows that when kids are tired and they miss a nap, they become something just otherworldly. <laughs> They become this terror in the night that won't go back into their bedroom. You know, they, they end up making these poor choices. They think that they can fly. They can't fly. Don't jump off that couch. It's when we're tired. And the truth is, is adults do this too. We get tired and, we, we may, and we're, our, abil our defenses are down. Our ability to think clearly is gone. And in those moments when we're tired, we hold this prayer close to our heart saying, Lord, 
Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Be my strength when I feel weak. Third one that I think is important to pray is when you're lonely. When you're by yourself, when you think that no one has your back. When you think that people don't desire you, when people don't respect you, when people don't recognize your achievements or your accomplishments, this is a moment to hold this prayer close to your heart. Because in those moments when we feel alone and we feel worthless, we're that much more likely to buy into the lie and the temptation that says, well then, hey, just go over here and do this thing. You'll feel better about yourself. Try this and it'll be a little bit easier. We pray this prayer, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil as a reminder that God is there. That even when we're lonely, God is present. That there's no place that we can go that he is not going to go with us. That he's always walking with us to encourage us, to hold us up when we feel so lonely and so isolated. In those moments when I feel like no one sees or understands, God says, I see, I get it, and I am here to be your strength. We pray this prayer as a way of growing in our understanding of who we are in God. That in God, we are his forgiven, baptized children. So we're going to be celebrating baptism here in just a few, minute, uh, few minutes. And this is something that is really important to say about baptism. This is not just something families do because it's a polite idea that we want to have early on in our kids' lives. That in baptism, God actually is making promises. What he says in baptism is the moment that water hits your kid's head, I am doing things. The first thing I'm doing is I am forgiving them. For all the sins they've ever committed and everything that they ever will do, I've forgiven it. It's done. Second is he's giving them the gift of eternal life, saying that you can know that you will always be with me and not even death can separate us. The third thing he's giving them is he's giving them his Holy Spirit. God is dwelling in their hearts to go with them now and forever. So that when they pray the prayer, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, they will hear the response, I never ever, ever, ever will leave you. I will always deliver you because you are my forgiven and baptized son. My forgiven and baptized daughter. You are my little girl. And when we pray this prayer, that's the response God gives. It strengthens us in that identity, knowing who we are and who our heavenly father is. It saturates our life with his promises. One of my favorite verses that I often go to when I'm tempted and struggling is this passage from Hebrews chapter 4. This is what it says. I just love this. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time, in our time of need. See, when we pray this prayer, it saturates our lives with the promises of God. It reminds us that even when we fail, even when we fall short, God is our Father who will never abandon us. And it allows us in those moments when we feel weak to know that I can confidently walk into his throne room and receive all the grace and mercy that I need to help me in this moment of trial and temptation. Because I'm God's kid. Because he's my father. 
because he will always be there. This prayer is not the prayer of an immature person. This is the prayer of a person of faith. It's a prayer that admits I'm weaker than I'd like to admit, but God is stronger and more gracious than I could possibly fathom. And so I cry out to him, knowing that he will always be with me. It's in the name of our God and Father, the one who never leads us into temptation and always delivers us from evil, that we say, Amen.